Hello and welcome to episode 216 of the N Focus podcast and the first of 2023. I am your irregular host, Andrew Brown, and we are joined by our regular co-host, Sylvia Wassenaar. Hello, hello. And Rosalie, the little record girl. Hello. So this episode is just going to focus on what we played over the break, and when we come back with our next episode, we will start getting into newer games, hopefully. Uh, we'll see what happens. We don't always play the new games, but there's some good stuff coming out this year, so we've got a lot to look forward to. Uh, so let's start with our latest Nintendo news. <laughs> So it was announced over the break that the Switch is now the fifth best-selling console of all time at 114 million sold, including Switch and Switch Lite, putting sales just behind Game Boy and PlayStation 4. Are we surprised by this number? Not really. The Switch kind of just, it was something that a lot of people wanted. I don't think everyone really realized they wanted it, but it fills a lot of different use cases that just, yeah. It works. I think that was the Mac slogan. It just works. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only surprised because there's been loads of stock issues. I've, I don't think I've seen one in a game shop in a while. So the fact that it still managed to get that high despite, you know, the pandemic and that happening, I'm like, wow. <laughs> I, I still think the whole thing of having something that can be a handheld anime console in one is like one of the most ingenious ideas ever. So I'm not surprised at all. Well, it's doubly impressive not just between the stock and the, the COVID supply issues, but it's only been out for six years compared to the Game Boy, which has been out for mm. 30, uh, 35 <laughs> now, I think, actually. <laughs> it's coming up on that anniversary, and the PlayStation oh, no. 4, of course, uh, has only been about 10 years. So the sales are definitely arcing up, and they don't seem to be slowing down because Nintendo has actually announced they are increasing production of it oh. next year, uh, whereas, you know, you think after six years, the console would start to obsolesce, they would start preparing for their next console. Now, Nintendo has always said that they plan for the Switch to have a 10-year life cycle. Uh, I've always believed them. Other people seem surprised by that, uh, but if it's selling, why stop? I mean, the Game Boy was around yeah. for about 10 years, too. Yeah, I'm also kind of, like, glad, because as much as I love new consoles, I'm like, oh, few i don't have to fork out how much money it's going to be for a brand new one <laughs> unless the new thing was backwards compatible with, with the switch uh cartridges i'd be like oh, okay produce but i'm kind of glad i like seeing it stretch out as long as possible so i am totally fine as it is now yeah i think as long as we're all okay with more modern game ports like multi-platforms kind of disappear yeah i think but I always thought that people don't own a Nintendo because they have the thing that has the best graphics at the time because it's not been that thing since maybe the SNES era or maybe GameCube. For me, it's always just because that's the handheld. So if, if I want something to look the best and it's on everything, I'd normally just play it on like the PS5 or PS4 before. So for me, Nintendo is for like Nintendo games and seeing how good the new Fire Emblem looks... I still think it's dependent on the studio making it look really good. So I think games can look really good. I don't mind if they oh, look a tiny bit. I wasn't outdated. saying graphics. I just mean in general, they're going to just uh, not be able to run on hardware that, yeah. that was already old to start with. You That's absolutely true. can leverage the, the hardware, but you have to intend to do it. Um, and multi-platform ports won't intend to do it. Yeah. It is weird there isn't like a pro... I guess the LOD is kind of like as close as we're going to get for a while. I think the Nintendo 64 was the last time Nintendo actually had the most powerful hardware on the market. And then it had it had storage problems, which really yeah. prevented them from taking advantage of that, pre prevented developers from taking advantage of that. The cartridge format just was not a good choice for where... Yeah technology was in the mid 90s so i think really the super nintendo was actually the last time nintendo yeah. was actually had the most groundbreaking system and since then they've just gone for more affordable stuff which has obviously been to their advantage because they've not done the best every generation but they've consistently done well mm -hmm. i think they've made up for the wii u even though i still like the wii u just to put that out there but they've definitely kind of you know said hey 
we're we're still we're still cool. <laughs> it does feel like Nintendo's finally moved on from the Wii U in terms of ports and their approach to you know game presentation as well. Fire Emblem Engage. I mean, I'll talk about it more when I've played more of it, but the fact that that looks so good compared to Three Houses, which I'm starting to think that that was probably a 3DS game at some point. Oh. <laughs> it, it feels like the Switch is starting to get games that were always meant to be Switch games rather than something that shifted focus or something that released on another console and then was oh. tidy up a little bit for a Switch release. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so let's move on with what we played over the break. So I'll start out with uh, my biggest disappointment, which was Four Tales, a card-based narrative adventure. It's a, a new, fairly new indie game. It released late last year, and I was pretty excited to play it. It's all there in the title. It's a narrative adventure game, and you play it by playing cards. And I, at first, was really quite happy with it. You play as a character named Volpan, who is a shoebill in a fantasy world who uh, has been hired to use his thieving skills to break into this mansion and steal this relic. Now, the relic turns out to be a cursed liar who makes whoever touches it have visions of the future, and Volpane, as soon as he touches it, has visions of the future where everything is being destroyed. So you have to set out to try and avert all of the apocalypses he's witnessing in a number of different missions. And there's a pretty good variety of missions. Like, you have to go into a mine and stop some violence from erupting between striking miners and the soldiers who have come to break the strike. Uh, in another one, you have to be a legal advocate for a pirate captain who's on trial for murder unjustly. And then another one, you have to go into, like, this library and find... Uh, a book that has a cure for a disease in it. Lots of different things that you can do in it. I don't want to go into too much detail about the game because, you know, it's a card game, so there's a lot to it. And I don't want to completely monopolize this episode with my stuff, even though I'm kind of going to do that anyway. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, I just found the game got repetitive pretty quickly. After, after a couple hours, I found that... I was using the same cards from each character's deck over and over and over to solve almost every problem. There are a pretty good number of characters you can pick, but they only have a half dozen cards in their decks, and you just keep cycling through them. There's just not a lot of variety. Uh, and then when I got to the end of the game... I hadn't done everything correctly because there's like a mission map you have to work your way through and there's not enough time to do every mission on the map. So you have to kind of prioritize certain ones. It turns out there's an order you have to do this in to get not just the good ending, but to get unending. I didn't follow the right order through it, so it just kicked me back to the first mission and basically said, try again. This was a... Uh, one of Volpan's bad premonitions and you did it wrong so you have to start all over I was I was so furious I just <laughs> I just quit on the spot oh. so disappointed in Four Tales had such high hopes for it it looks like a, a game that I would really like you know it's a card based game it's a narrative game it's about fantasy wildlife creatures because uh, I, I was really into Redwall as a kid so I'm still kind of drawn to these kind of games but this was mm -hmm. just, just a bad game I did not care for it at all. <laughs> Super repetitive. Doesn't respect my time. Don't recommend. Now, Rosalie, you've been playing Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about that? I think most people listening or here have played a Lego game at some point. Uh, uh, they always have. Not since no? the mid-2000s when I played the original Lego Star Wars game. <laughs> yeah, that's, but, to be fair, that's yeah. probably still my, like, favorite one. <laughs> um... I don't usually go out and like buy the newer ones just because uh, if you've played one they're sometimes really the same but the kind of the appeal of the Skywalker Saga one was that it was it's all of the movies well all of the Skywalker Saga movies so you've got the original movies you've got the sequels and you got the prequels I'm a Star Wars nerd I prefer the original movies but there is some things to like about the prequels and the sequels what I really liked about it before it came out I saw lots of little um 
cutscenes and stuff. And some of the when Lego games started out, they didn't use the original audio from the movie or any voice acting. It was like they were kind of mumbling, which could have been a funding issue. Like they couldn't afford the rights for audio from the films that they were like doing licensing games of because there was like a Lego Hobbit one. There was there's like all sorts. But they've gotten to a point where they actually use either audio from the films or voice acting. And it makes such a huge difference. This has just been really, really fun. I've only done, I'm, I'm doing it in a story order. So I've started with the, the prequels. I'm playing it co-op with my partner because he's also a big Star Wars nerd. And usually with these games, that's that's just the most fun is to play it with somebody. So we've done Phantom Menace, which actually was more fun than actually watching the Phantom Menace. And we've done Attack of the Clones. There's loads of like little in gags that were obviously for like an older audience. And obviously if you're a really big Star Wars nerd, I like really appreciated. But the weird thing is that like the main mechanic of the Lego games was always like you broke lots of stuff and then you'd find things to like build because it's Lego and you, you know, the main thing of the toy of Lego is you build stuff with it. <laughs> so in the games you break stuff and then suddenly you find stuff to build, you hold a button and then your character like builds a thing and that unlocks a puzzle and you can progress further. That's like not a thing anymore, <laughs> which is really weird because it's Lego. Building and Lego is kind of like the point of it. I think in Phantom Menace we built one thing or two things. So the incentive to just like run around and break things now is more like a if you want a trophy or like an achievement or whatever on the other consoles, which is a bit sad. But if then to make up for that, there's like a ton of side quests and then the actual maps are huge. So it's like, oh, OK. And there's like side quests you can do. You can there's like skill trees now, which I'm like, what? And you can like get more force powers if you're like a Jedi character and each kind of like if you're a hero character you've got your own like skill tree and stuff you can do and there's all these secret codes to unlock characters that are like from the star wars holiday special which i found absolutely hilarious so i've got like santa c3po i think it's very very affordable now if not i think it's on games pass if you're an xbox or pc person it's been so long since i've played a lego game but i'm glad that i've gotten this one invested time in it because it's just it's just lovely. I think the, I actually really love the Jurassic World Lego games as well because they actually did all the original movies too. It wasn't just Jurassic World. So I've kind of been back into them for a little while. But I just love Star Wars. So I just, I've been having a blast. It's just really cool. Um, but I do still need to complete it because I'm at that thing where I've started about four games at once and haven't completed any of them. <laughs> but yeah. And if you get the special edition, you actually get a limited edition minifig of Luke Skywalker which is pretty cool okay great sounds like they've added a lot to it since I last played it so yeah it's one of those things where you know when you play an open world game and you're like oh my god there's a lot to do ah it's actually a bit like no. that now but you don't have to you can just go through the main game and then you open up free play and stuff but it's yeah it's just a delight if you love Star Wars and you're kind of waiting for like there's like a sequel to the Fallen Order uh, one, whatever, what, I can't remember what the name was. Uh, this is like a good in-between Star Wars game. So I'll knock out two Square Enix games I've played over the break. Uh, first was Octopath Traveler, a game I've been trying to play and finish since it came out in 2018. So it's been haunting me for quite some time. My complaints about the game are well established. I'm not going to go into too much detail because they really are complaints that other people have raised many times. You know, about the story, how none of the characters really interact with each other. Their stories are all interlinked in some way. There's some character that binds most of the other characters together. But you don't really find out about these relationships until the very, 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 very end of the game. Uh, in a dungeon that you, you technically you don't even have to do it. It's quite easy to not even know that this dungeon exists and to not bother doing it because it's after the credits have already ran. And even once you find out about it, the characters never really talk about it. It's, it's just frustrating how there are eight characters in this game and each of them have basically their own full-length RPG you have to play through and their stories really aren't interlinked in any way. And hopefully... Octopath Traveler 2 is going to remedy that. Uh, and also the graphics. Uh, they 
really tried something new here and it's striking to look at at first until you actually really start playing the game and you see that oh they they really didn't know what they were actually doing because <laughs> the game looks pretty bad in a few places particularly in uh the amount of bloom that they used that's one that sylvie always likes to point out uh, <laughs> Uh, just mm. the desaturated colors everywhere. It's just everything is brown and black and white. And if you're lucky, there's a green somewhere. <laughs> the field of view as well. Quite often characters will, you know, refer to something in the background or in the foreground. But because the field of view is just locked on where the character is at and in a very limited space, you, you really can't see anything. They're just referring to this blurry shape that... <laughs> is very indistinct it's just it's not good <laughs> but but this was their first game in this style they've made several more since that they've made a lot of progress in making them you know actually interesting to look at so uh but as far as an rpg itself octopath traveler is it's fairly competent my my main complaint about it is it's like playing a 16-bit RPG, but it is still a modern RPG, a contemporary RPG. So it is a 100-plus hour game, and you've got the 16-bit RPG character progression stretched out over 100 hours, uh, which can really feel like a grind, especially in that first 50 hours, because all of your character power in this game is based on being able to cast magic, really. There's a lot of really powerful spells and skills that your characters can learn, and you don't really begin to feel powerful until you've unlocked all the alternate jobs, so that way everybody can have their main job and also, like, a second job that way they have a second set of skills they can use and a second set of weapons uh, when they're just in their base form they feel very rudimentary and you're in that base form for 20 plus hours it's not paced well in terms of how how your characters progress but after 50 hours when you've got a good amount of sp which is the mp regen on all your characters and you can use spells every turn and every character has at least three weapons they can use on each turn to you know take advantage of enemy weaknesses it gets a lot more interesting to play it just takes 50 plus hours to get there i i really hoping octopath traveler 2 improves on on these complaints because this really did this does feel like a good premise for a game in all the ways I've described, but almost everything needs a lot of work. It's it's really, it doesn't surprise me that it took me almost five years to really sit down and finish this game because it's, it's quite tedious in many ways. And the other Square Enix game I played over the break was Nier Automata, the end of Yorha edition. I finally played Nier Automata, so please stop yelling at me about it. <laughs> But you will get to still keep yelling at me about it because I, I didn't get what all the excitement about this game was. I thought this was a very, very competent three-star game. I just didn't get it. You know, it's a Square Enix published game, but it's a typical platinum game. You know, it's, it's a 3D action game. They, some people call it character action, but I, they're just action games to me. Similar to Bayonetta and uh, Astral Chain. You've got your character who has a fast attack and a strong attack, and you can combo between the two by pressing the two different buttons, and it's like it's like every other Platinum game I've played in the past 10 years. <laughs> There's a sometimes interesting story you're playing as these androids who are sent down from uh, the moon where the last of humanity is hiding out to fight these robots that have been seeded on Earth by these alien invaders. You go around on all these missions, and, and what is... When the game first came out, me and Sylvie had quite a discussion about whether this was an open-world game or not. It is. It's it's just not a very big open world. <laughs> I spent a lot of time going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth over the same three rather small areas there's a desert there's a forest and there's like a, a ruined city area and 
the quest design in this game is very mid 2000s like you, you talk to a quest npc somewhere they say i want this thing from this place on the other side of the map please go get me one so you run over there and you grab one then you run back which is super annoying when you haven't unlocked fast travel yet <laughs> it, it makes you play the game twice for some reason there's a, a conceit in the game where like after you finished playing through the first part of the story with the main character, then you play through it again with her partner 9S. There are a few sequences in there where 9S is on his own and you actually do new things, but four-fifths of it is the exact same game that you just played through. It's just got a slightly different character who has a slightly different attack set. And then there's a, a whole a, a third of the game after that fact where you play as yet another character who I never really connected with. I never really got the point of her. It just went on. <laughs> and then the game finally, I got like a, an actual ending. There, there are a lot of endings in this game, uh, but there are these four or five like core endings which collectively tell you the entire story. There's a lot of, you know, existentialism stuff in this, some philosophical stuff, because it's about robots, and it's about androids, and it's about the nature of existence, and life, and what is humanity. It was all very philosophy 101 stuff. Uh, there's some religious symbolism that never really added up to anything. Like, there's two characters who are villains for the first arc of the story named Adam and Eve. They show up a few times, they say some stuff, they die, the end they had no meaning at all there and then there were the plot twists about the the, the nature of of humanity in this existence and where the robots really came from and stuff that was all super predictable that i guessed in the first hour of the game i didn't dislike this game i really didn't i got through it without too many complaints it just it feels like a game from 2005 and it wasn't particularly interesting or challenging it's a it's a three-star game i i just i don't I don't get the hype behind this one. I think a lot of the thing with it is that you need all the supplementary stuff to go along with it. Because I really liked it, but a lot of the story is also in the um, uh, near replicant That's for a, a lot of the characters. Isn't that a completely different game? No, it's all the same. So Yoko Taro, he's really cool and really weird where he's like the game designer and writer and everything. So, uh, so there's actually like games that they've developed that are totally different that are actually canonically the same world and universe okay well if um, it's not in this game then it's not in this story so i, I don't i'm unmoved by the uh, argument no it is actually in the story that's the thing so like a lot of the supplementary so people who are usually fans of this game specifically are also really big fans of all the stuff that's kind of encompassed in it i was waiting for replicant to come on other things because it's all i think it's still only on like the main consoles because i've not played it but that came out on the ps Three. It was just called Near, and then they've they've done like a remake called Near Replicant. But that actually tells you, you know, like the Emil, the little kind of like moon kind of guy that you can like buy items from. That's like his backstory, and there's loads of characters' backstories. So it is one of those annoying things where you do have to kind of play the other stuff to kind of get it. But okay, I, well, I, that's like I said, yeah. if it's not in this game, it's not in this story. So I'm <laughs> unmoved. <laughs> like, if you want me to care about Emil, put Emil's story in this game. Otherwise, he's just an NPC who sells me stuff. Yeah, I guess. I really liked it, though, so... <laughs> well, people are perfectly free to disagree with me, but I'm just... Yeah. I was unimpressed by this game. <laughs> yeah. I just... I have friends who might be listening who, like, this is, like, their favorite franchise thing in the entire world so i just had to feel felt like compelled to add that in in case someone was like well actually <laughs> i i don't i don't get it i don't but get it but <laughs> there's also an anime that's just started so i'm kind of wondering how they're gonna put this into that story maybe they'll add stuff from the other stuff in it to explain it more as well but hey, hey. well then maybe that means the anime will be a better story <laughs> That is not this story. The story in this game was not interesting. <laughs> so, Sylvie, you've been playing Persona 5. Why don't you tell us about Persona 5? Uh, specifically, Persona 5 Royal, the re-release. Even though I said that I probably wasn't going to buy this because it was uh, an expensive game that I might not play for a third time, uh, I did buy it because I have no self-control. <laughs> uh, it was on yeah. sale, but <laughs> not by much. Anyway... <laughs> 
Um, I just wanted all the games on one platform because I knew I was going to get three and four on the Switch. So five had to be there too because brain. Anyway, I finally did start to play it on the Switch. Uh, just at the start, just to kind of see how it was. But also because I was getting impatient waiting for three and four to come out. So I just played a bunch of five just to kill the time and just to scratch that itch and uh, see how it ran on the on the switch. I mean, there's several things that I, I should mention here is that just it runs well. Uh, it's a little blurry, but I feel like this has been begging to be played on handheld for since it came out. I really wish that this was an option the entire time. I've probably already like said that at some point back when it was a uh, it was locked on PlayStation. Just I like the game, but sometimes I just want to chip away at it when I'm in bed or I'm in in the living room watching TV with my dad. And now I can. Too little, too late. Uh, I'm happy it's here, but this should not have taken this long. It's like frustrating. It's. <sighs> It's Persona 5. I, I enjoyed it the first two times I played it. I'm not on Twitter anymore, but I have been seeing a lot of tweets and articles about how it's so problematic. Um, it's definitely problematic in how it portrays the one gay couple in the game as drunken perverts, which is really disappointing, but that's it. Uh, I obviously find that not very nice, uh, outright offensive, I guess, at worst. I think it just happens off the top of my head. I remember it happening twice in the game when they show up, just as a as a gag. Uh, and I think in this re-release, they've kind of toned it down a little bit, but in the back of your mind, you know, it's not great. Yeah, Atlas are pretty bad for that in general, though, aren't they? Because, like, one of my favourite games is Catherine, and then they did a remaster... And everything bad and problematic about the original, they made it worse. <laughs> and you're just like, why? <laughs> why do you? Yeah. Okay, Catherine's a, like an extreme example, but I think Persona 4 is the one that gets the most flack. Yeah. And I disagree with a lot of the takes. I'm not going to say it's a sensitive portrayal of gender nonconformance, but it's kind of accurate to real life. I, I really don't like when, you know... Characters in a, in a story do something bad. That means that the, the person who wrote the story believes these things and is also bad. Mm -hmm. I think that Persona 4 is surprisingly progressive for its time. I know it's not what we're talking about. Like, I'm meant to be talking about Persona 5, but, like, I, I want to address it. I, I get annoyed that people say that it's a, a misogynist, transphobic, homophobic game. I don't think it handles it as well as it could have. But considering that it's a Japanese game from a period of time that was like, oh god, 10 years ago now, probably more, I don't know. Yeah, but the original 4 was on the PS2 originally, so... Yeah, it's a it's quite an old game and it is surprisingly, even by Western standards, it's surprisingly progressive and accepting of these characters that don't feel like they fit the stereotypes that they're getting lumped into. Mm -hmm. Back on topic, Persona 5 is nothing like that. Persona 5 is more of a, the world is bad. Adults are easily corrupted. It really is like a, a kids versus adults sort of angle. They outright mm -hmm. just say, you know, all these stupid adults are just doing whatever they want. I've already described Persona 5 the the gist of what it's about on another episode but the the cliff notes to basically you play as a character called um codenamed joker <clears throat> you're a high school student you lead a band of other students in a group called the phantom thieves you have the ability to infiltrate people's palaces which are a representation of their distorted desires and basically get them to come around and fess up and atone for their crimes, which can be all the way from a inappropriate teacher. I guess it's the nicest way I could say that on a, in a PG way. 
Uh, there's a mob boss, you know, he just sees people as walking ATMs, and that's quite literally how it's portrayed at, in his <laughs> palace, his actual walking ATMs. It's um, very ham-fisted. The, the metaphors are basically that the nature of a lot of Japanese media is just, instead of just showing it, the characters have to talk about it and solve the metaphor for the viewer and it's a little frustrating at times because it's like yeah i get it i don't need to press the a button you know 50 times just to get a like i'm, I'm well ahead of the reveal here i i got it that sounds like i'm complaining about the game i still adore persona 5 i don't think it's the best persona game in terms of story or characters but in terms of gameplay and presentation uh, user interface is just fantastic. It's fun to play. Every Persona game has the two sides where you've got the, the Phantom Thief life where you're infiltrating dungeons to... It's, it's a JRPG. Uh, a pretty solid one. Uh, nothing too in-depth. But if you played one Persona game, this will be fam familiar enough for you. Uh, and then you've got the second life, which is the, the school life, which is more like a visual novel. Uh, the characters in the game, you kind of just grow, form bonds with them, and that helps you create stronger personas, uh, and you just also develop their stories and you get to know them better, and that gains more abilities in battle. I wouldn't say that they feed into each other, the, the school life stuff feeds into the battle, but the battle doesn't really feed back into the school life at all. It's still interesting, it very much feels like a 50-50 split between the two lives. Well, the closest to it, out of all of the Persona games, at least. Um, I'm, I'll talk about Persona 3 Portable later, because that's a very different game in terms of how it's presented, but Persona 5 and Persona 5 Royal feel like the closest to a, a AAA game that Persona has ever been. Probably even the main series is from Shimigami Tensei. It feels very polished. Um, I just wish it came to Switch sooner. I, I, I don't know if I'm going to play it a, a third time. It's a hundred <laughs> hour plus game. If you do everything and you kind of want to do everything. <laughs> At least Morgana lets you do more things there, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a whole bunch of little quality of life updates like Morgana letting you out at night. Um, he usually <laughs> just tells you to go to sleep. Um, so they shut him up, which is good. Uh, it's probably my <laughs> least favorite character in the game, but what another one that I remembered going through this in the original Persona Five, one of the weapons you have is a gun. Uh, if you ran out of bullets, you had to leave the palace to Ew. have it refilled, and that leaving the palace also causes time to progress in the real world. What do you use bullets for? Like, do you use them for puzzle solving in the environment, or do you just use them in combat? You use them in battle, but some enemies are only weak to pierce damage, which is Ew. guns. That yeah. is awful. And you can, like, threaten the them to, like, so you can, like, join your side and then use them in battle. Yeah, but uh, Persona 5 Royal will refill your gun after every battle because oh, cool. oh, good. the idea is that it's a world based on cognition so the enemy sees a gun it looks real enough it's a gun mm -hmm. <laughs> um but you can't reload the gun because it's a model so, so you can you can threaten monsters at gunpoint to join your side yeah yeah <laughs> yeah oh, it's really cool <laughs> it's fun there are words for it i don't know if cool is it <laughs> I'd love to hear Andrew's um, reaction to a certain monster that appears that's like oh. really infamous in the Persona series. Oh, the monster? <laughs> yeah, I've seen the yes. monster. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just when you stumble on him for the first time, you're just like, wait, what? <laughs> What's going on? It's so good. Yeah, in, in Royal, it will refill after every fight. And they even justify this in... In the universe, when the monsters see you, they're assuming that if you're bringing a gun to battle, it's going to be fully loaded. So, uh, <laughs> I, I don't think they need to explain like it, but it's cute that they did. <laughs> assuming the gun is loaded is what you're supposed to do in gun safety. <laughs> I mean, this is... Uh, okay, I won't make that 
Joke or reference. <laughs> I mean, I'm from... Yeah, I was going to say, I'm from the UK, so I'm like, oh. Yeah, it's just a whole bunch of quality of life updates that really do add up to just a more fun user experience. Yeah, I, th- I think I'll have more to say in comparison when, we, when I get to talk about Persona 3 Portable a little. They're very different games in a lot of different aspects. Another game I played over the break was Tetris Effect Connected, which I chose specifically because I was told it was short. It is. I finished it in under two hours, uh, but there's quite a bit to do beyond, you know, just playing through the levels and seeing the credits roll. But that was all I really focused on. I thought that this was the chill Tetris game for music nerds, but they started putting me on, like, speed level 10 before I was, like, halfway through the game. I cannot play Tetris that fast. (laughs) (laughs) So I was a little taken aback at the pace of this game. Like, there are even difficulties it offers you, and it says, here's medium. This is the difficulty we recommend for most players and then like on level four it's putting me at speed level 12 i'm like whoa let's slow down please (laughs) and even after i dropped it to the lowest difficulty level it was still pushing me at speeds i was like i cannot play tetris this fast so i was a little uh disappointed at how hardcore it expected me to be at Tetris to play Tetris Effect Connected, which uh, is supposed to be focused on, you know, the sound design and the cool visual effects that take place on each level. Like, there's a level that's based on dolphin music, so it's all underground, and there's a lot of dolphin clicking and siren noises and things. It sounds and looks really cool. But the game is running way too fast to enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) Beyond that, there are a lot of extra modes that you can play, and they come in, like, single-player and multiplayer versions, and there's, like, cooperative multiplayer, there's competitive multiplayer. There's a lot of uh, different options there, and you unlock, like, new icons for your profile and new titles for your profile just to show how long you've been playing the game with the people you end up matchmaking with or just to show off how cool you are in the screenshots you post on social media. This is how good I am at Tetris. Yet even here, it was too intense for me. I cannot play Tetris at those speeds. And there's even a mode, it's called, like, Chill Tetris or something. So I was like, oh, okay, this must be what I'm looking for. Chill. That sounds great. Uh, All Chill does is remove the game over state. Like, you, you keep playing... For the full 15 minutes that the round is supposed to last so it doesn't actually get any easier uh when you get up to a speed that you can't play like me at like starting at like level eight is when i start getting overwhelmed it just keeps going and going and going <laughs> that's not chill that's not any easier that's harder <laughs> because i have to keep playing at a state i'm not capable of playing for at least seven more minutes i, I was Somewhat baffled by this game, but I do think it's a great game. Sound design-wise, music-wise, great to look at. Very cool visually to play. It encouraged me to play it with my headset. I'm glad I did. It was very worth it. Normally, I have like a movie or a TV show playing off to the side when I'm playing a video game. I didn't do that here just so I could focus on all the other things it's doing. I just wish it was less demanding of me as a Tetris player because I am not that kind of Tetris player. And I think most people aren't. <laughs> I was I was very surprised what this game asked of me to do as a player when I'm just sitting down to enjoy the music and the visuals. <laughs> I was surprised by Tetris Effect. I'm still surprised you did the single player so quickly because I've played it as well. I really like it, but it, it's difficult (laughs) i think i've put like 15 20 hours into it and i'm not maybe like one fourth into the single player like unlocking all their levels and everything Uh, maybe tetris effect connected has a different mode but i I just played i think it's called like flow mode or something i played i played this like a month ago now (laughs) but uh, uh i i can't imagine why it's taking you that long you just play through all the levels in order and then, then you're done. And then the credits roll. I, I'm not sure. Sh- no, there's there's like a map where it's like a circle that leads to the other circle. And then each one's like a different level. And you can unlock it. 
That yeah. was like the single player campaign. Yeah, no, I, I'm on normal difficulty though, so maybe that's why. And I'm oh like, yeah, okay. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm good at music rhythm games, but not good at Tetris, so that <laughs> that might be why. <laughs> Drop it down to casual. I think you'll you'll muddle through it fairly quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but I I could not play this game on medium. It was way too fast for me. I'm just finding this all fascinating because. I find it relaxing when the game kind of forces me into the flow state, which is their term for it. Yeah. Where I've, I've kind of shut off most of my brain, just the Tetris part. It is not stressful to me. It's, it's nice just to be able to quickly just see where everything fits. I'm no Tetris master, but I think I definitely have... I, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but more of a history with Tetris. I played a lot of Tetris... And I can kind of just zone out and play it. Maybe my brain is different. I don't know. I'm. I feel like I'm dancing around the world words skill issue, and I don't mean to. No, <laughs> I mean I don't, I don't want to be elitist about it. I, I don't think <laughs> I'm better at it. I think I'm just more of the intended audience for it because I. I definitely haven't played as much Tetris as some people. Like, I probably okay, would have yeah, had no yeah. problem if I was, you know, better at it. <laughs> yeah, but, well, I, again, I, I've seen people, like some of my friends who are very good at Tetris play it, and I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> so... <laughs> well, like, I mean, I there's, one, there's one level that starts you off on, like, speed level 12. I'm like, can we just just dial it back? Like, dial it down here, please. We don't need to start that fast. <laughs> I think also, for me, that kind of change in what it was asking from me was part of the experience along with the the audio-visual side of it. I don't think that's something that everyone's going to be able to appreciate. Like you said, you just you, you feel like you can't do it, and then you get that gets it in your head as well. And so you stop paying attention to the audiovisual stuff and you're just focusing on the Tetris side of it. And it, I'm guessing it would be quite frustrating. I, I, I feel like I'm sounding so elitist right now, but I'm not <laughs> meaning to. No, you just sound like you're a different kind of player. Like when you said where you just turn your brain off and just get into the flow, I can't do that. <laughs> you know, my brain is turned off. That's called sleep. <laughs> I have a TV, like? I have a TV show playing beside games that I play for a reason. It's because if I am just playing the game, I get bored quickly. <laughs> I need my mind divided between multiple things, otherwise, no, I'm not. Yeah. I, I I become unhappy quickly. I'm I'm the same with, with certain things. With Tetris, I can't. Tetris needs, especially with this, I find Tetris um, the Tetris effect much more stimulating. Like it's it's touching on the audio and the visual and the cognitive parts of my brain all at once, so I don't need a second thing to kind of fill my attention. But with any other game, yeah, like I play a shooter, I play a JRPG, I need to have a TV show on to split my attention. Otherwise, I pay no attention to anything. <laughs> And speaking of which, you've been playing Persona 3 as well as 5, which uh, doesn't seem advised, but hey, you do you. Uh, go ahead and tell <laughs> us about Persona 3. Yeah, well, this is uh, a port of a PSP game, uh, PlayStation Portable, and it feels like it. Uh, really feels like it uh, in many good and bad ways. This is It was originally a PS2 game, uh, and then it had an enhanced re-release because atlas likes to double dip and then they released this version on the psp as well and it's incredibly cut back but also has extra features really makes you want them to just release a definitive edition of persona 3 because <laughs> it's split up across three games so persona 3 portable plays a lot like a visual novel because I've called it a visual novel element in Persona uh, 5 and maybe even Persona 4, but Persona 3, you don't move through the environment in a 3D space in the real world. It's all isometric renders that you just hover a cursor over which door or character you want to talk to. Those renders, they must have lost the source files because it looks like they've just taken 
PSP resolution assets and run it through an AI upscaler. It's not always the worst, but sometimes it's very distracting. Like when there's a brick wall behind you and the bricks look like someone had their eyes closed when they were shaping them. <laughs> it's not good. It doesn't detract from gameplay though. I think they lost the source code to, is it one called Fez? Fez, yeah. Fez. There was a huge thing about. I'm sure that they actually did, or they lost something. I've heard that. They got this one. It's yeah. From what I understand, it's speculation. My understanding is that they released this oh, one okay. because it's the most recent release, um, and it has a lot of quality of life updates that um, the original release and Fez don't have. So, whereas Persona Four and Five have specific dungeons for each part of the game, and vastly different feels to those dungeons as well uh, especially Persona 5 Persona 3 is set entirely within a I don't want to say endless but like it's a really long leveled dungeon called Tartarus uh, the main thing with Persona 3 is that there's an extra hour between days it starts at midnight and I guess ends at technically midnight but it's the 25th hour of the day. Persona users are awake during this hour, but everyone else is locked into coffins. And some of these people have been attacked by shadows, and there's this kind of apathy syndrome, I think they call it, in the game. Where these people just kind of turn into living zombies in the real world. You and your Persona buddies have to go figure out why. Because uh, leave it up to the school kids. See, I've, I've watched the movies. I know how the story is going to play out. Uh, I'm really interested to see where it goes. Because I'm actually playing as the female protagonist. Which is one of the things that's only in Persona 3 Portable. Um, it's technically not canon. Uh, she only appears in one other Persona game, which is Persona Q2. Which is the 3DS Etrian Odyssey style dungeon crawler. And her whole thing in that game is that all of her friends don't recognize her because they're all from the male protagonist universe, but she knows all of them. It's trippy. So it it's canon, but it's not canon. It's not the canon, but it's a multi alternate universe. I don't think it matters. Um, it's got different social links because you're a girl and you can only be interested in guys, obviously. That's how it works. <laughs> Uh, it's very frustrating actually I don't want to date any of the guys In other games, Persona games uh, Later ones You can progress a social link With a member of the opposite gender And not have it turn into a romance But in Persona 3 You don't have that option Gameplay wise it's optimal To get max rank with Every character You can see where this is going <laughs> Um, very frustrating as an uh, arrow ace because I don't want that. I just want to exist. <laughs> I've always been frustrated with romance in video games because it's just expected to be the the default, and especially when games are like it's romance or nothing. I really didn't. I, I think Mass Effect had a problem with that, where it was just. If you said, no, not interested, let's just be friends, then they just, that's the end of that story with them. Because of the nature of how this is presented, the dungeon is all 3D. You you are actually going through it in 3D. It resembles a lot of the PS2 game, just with, you know, slightly crappier graphics. And what is good is AI, AI upscaled, so it's not perfect. But the real world is all 2D and text boxes and dialogue boxes because you're not moving around the city it's uh really quick and i'm not spending a lot of time doing that stuff at all but in the 3d world i spent about eight hours into this game i've got through the the first major persona uh shadow i can't remember what it's called but i spent so much of the time just grinding and exploring uh the game will say you have to go to the next Next block, I think they, they call them. It's just like a group of floors. Uh, the music will change, the colors will change. In Persona 5, it'll be like, let's 
split this up into a few days and we'll try and go find the, the treasure. But if you really tried, like if you really push yourself, you can... Well, no, you don't even push yourself that hard. You can just get to the treasure in one day. Find the escape route in one day. That's kind of what I'm doing in Persona 3 Portable as well, is getting to that next major block that I can't progress to until a certain date in the real world. Just so I can kind of focus on the social links. And it means that I'm spending hours in Tartarus. And then like five to ten minutes talking to characters. And then spending hours in Tartarus. I, th I think I complained about it being the opposite case in Fire Emblem Warriors Three Hopes. Where it was like ten minutes of gameplay and then it was like hours of dialogue. <laughs> it would be great if I could play a game where it was somewhere in the middle, but... That said, I prefer it prefer it this way in Persona 3 because I watched an entire TV show while just grinding through a dungeon and it's on Switch, so, you know, I can just have it in my lap and just push through and focus on watching TV. It's really good for that. I, I'd recommend it for the, for the price. Um, I think it's 20 American dollars. Really disappointed about how they've gone about the actual remaster because it really does feel like a remaster in quotation marks. Uh, the AI did it, not them. Some of the character profiles in particular look a bit wrong because an AI doesn't know what people look like because it's a computer. I mean, I'm mostly playing it on handheld. I don't notice it if unless I'm looking for it. And I was just looking for it because I saw someone mention it. And now that I've mentioned it, you're going to be looking at it too if you get it. So I'm sorry, but it's worth mentioning. It came in a bundle with Persona 4. I got a lot because I just had, you know, eShop credit and gold coins enough for it. That's what I'm waiting for. But yeah, Persona 3 is the only one that I haven't played. Hmm. I'm enjoying it. I'm, it's, it's a really good background game. I'm getting Persona 3 and 4. I'm just waiting for them to go on sale because I've also been saving my gold coins. <laughs> I think I have enough, but I'm waiting for the first sale on them, especially since I, I haven't even started Persona 5 yet. <laughs> so uh, planning to start that in March. It's worth mentioning, not not at you, Andrew, but like in general, you don't have yeah. to play them in number order. There's a reason why they're not releasing 1 and 2 as well. 2 has some strange choices. For some reason, uh, Hitler is one of the bosses. Yes, that Hitler. That's not a strange choice. <laughs> I will never complain about an opportunity to kill Hitler. I won't complain. I don't know why he's there, though. I'm sure there's some context for it in-game. I've heard in 3 as well that there's a really horrible transphobic scene, but you can skip it if you pick the female MC rather than the male one. Yeah, uh, it's also worth mentioning that if you aren't familiar with Persona 3's story at all, still play with the male protagonist route first, and then mm. if you really liked it, go into the female protagonist. I went to the female protagonist because I've watched the movies, I know how the story goes, and I just wanted something that, you know, could still surprise me a little bit. Okay, so real quickly, just to round out the episode, I played Diablo 2 Resurrected as the last the huge games i played over the break uh this is of course a console port of a pc game and really i i would have guessed that this game would never get a console port it's way too reliant on being played with a mouse and a keyboard they've they've done it and i have to say it's actually quite good I uh, do think that there are some problems with aiming abilities in, uh, on specific groups of enemies, especially enemies that are behind other enemies, because there is a, a smart aim system where it'll target the nearest monster in the general direction that you're facing. Uh, and if you want to target something at the back of the group, you just plain you can't do it, because that's just not the way the targeting works. That's the main trade-off I've really noticed between you know, playing with a mouse versus playing with a gamepad. And I was able to get through the game without too much difficulty because this is a Diablo game. It's a mass slaughter game. It's more about killing huge groups of enemies with powerful attacks instead of, you know, focusing down one single enemy one at a time. It, it, the strategy isn't really built around that. Uh, 
the remaster is really impressive because they've just built it over the top of the original game. There's literally a button toggle, like a combination of buttons you can press that will strip away the advanced graphics and show the original game running underneath it. Very cool. I spent way too much time just turning it on and then turning it off, turning it back on, turning it back off just so I could see the, the game transition in real time between the two effects. Very well done. As far as improving on the game one of my big complaints about Diablo 2 was just the way it was made and especially for the the era of the PC it was made for you couldn't really equip more than two skills at a time and with the way Diablo 2 works uh, one of those skills is is your basic attack so really you could only have one skill equipped at a time and you had to use the F key buttons on the top of your keyboard to switch between them uh, the have completely remapped how skills work they are all assigned to your face buttons now so you can have uh, four plus one assigned to one of the triggers uh, so that's five skills at a time, and if you hold down your left trigger, that actually opens up a second page of skills. So you can have ten skills equipped at one time, which is just mind-blowing for anybody who played Diablo 2 back in the day, where you could have one skill at a time. Very, very cool way of uh, updating things. After a while, I just kind of forgot that I was playing a console version, and I... I quickly fell back into my my old play habits and it felt just like playing it on pc even though i was playing it with a joystick it's a very good port uh, of a classic game it, it does feel quite old and antiquated they didn't update really any of the systems like there are almost no character respec options like back in the day in Diablo 2, if you, if you built your character wrong, you had to make a new character. You couldn't just undo your stats and undo your skills like you can do in, in Diablo 3. They've done some quality of life improvements since, where if you complete a quest, then you can reset your skills, but that's very limited, the number of times you can do that, so they still are kind of pushing you towards just making a new character if you built your character wrong and then there's all the quirks of the original stats like vitality is really the only stat that's worth using like you put enough strength and dexterity to get the equipment you want everything else goes into vitality if you put a single point into energy you're a noob you don't know what you're doing that's that's diablo 2 they haven't updated that at all all those systems are still here so if you're a diablo 2 purist you won't be disappointed this still plays like like an RPG that was designed and released in the 1990s. Oh my goodness, so long ago. Uh, I think if you're a fan, you'd get a, lot, a kick out of playing it on the Switch. But I think if you are just a newer player looking for uh, a newer, friendlier game, you're better off sticking with Diablo 3. And that's all I played over the break. Sorry I played so much. <laughs> <laughs> So what are we playing in the coming week? Rosalie, I'll start with you. Um, I'm finishing um, Freedom Planet, which was originally a Sonic fan game and then became its own thing. And mm. its sequel's coming out in the Switch this year, and it was only £3, and it's very fun. So, Freedom Planet. <laughs> I think I had that on Wii U, of all things. Yeah, it was on the Wii U, yeah. Um, it's probably on sale now, just to kind of ramp up the sequel coming out this it's already out on the pc but the switch one is planned sometime this year but it's it's really i'm a big sonic fan so i'm really enjoying it and sylvia what are you playing i'm uh, gonna keep working through persona 3 i feel like it's gonna be a very mm. long game um <laughs> but i did pick up fire emblem engage and i played like the little intro of it and it looks fantastic it's a beautiful game and yeah I know I shouldn't split my attention between two, like... You are splitting your attention games. between three. <laughs> yeah, I... I just want to play Fire Emblem. I think Persona 3 might just be like a... I'll play it every now and then while I'm doing something, and then Fire Emblem is like... That's what I'm focusing on, because it's all tactics, yeah. and I suck at it. Do what you want, <laughs> but... <laughs> 
Alright, and I'm going to play a new indie retro game from a developer called Joy Masher, who usually make pretty good games. Uh, it's called Vengeful Guardian Moonrider, so check in for that. Thanks for listening to this episode of In Focus. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayState and Power of X, and be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively GamePodular community. Follow us on Twitter and at GamePodular.com for updates, news and other content. Links are in the show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a Game Podular patron. The details for both are on our website. Thanks! This episode was edited by Andrew, and you can follow them at Play Critically or read their long form reviews at playcritically.com. You can also follow Sylvia on Twitch at twitch.tv slash sylvietori. And you can follow me on Twitter at lilrickgirl. Bye.